0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of John. John chapter 14 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll get there in just a moment. If you're new with us, we have been walking through a series called The Fruit of the Spirit in the Life of Jesus. The Fruit of the Spirit comes right from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh with the Fruit of the Spirit, And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And so today we're going to talk about peace, peace. Personal question as I begin, what's disturbing your peace? What's robbing you of peace in your life today? Could be a number of things. Some of you are faced with a difficult decision coming up. Some of you are dealing with financial stress, maybe an emotional burden you can't seem to shake. Some of you are in a conflict, perhaps a relational conflict with someone else and you're not sure how to come to reconciliation. What's disturbing your peace this morning? I think all of us long for peace. We long to have it, and we're going to see that Jesus promises to give it to those who are his. I thought it'd be good for us to define this word peace as we begin, and so here's a definition. Peace is a supernatural settledness deep in your soul in spite of your circumstances. Notice a supernatural settledness. This is given to us by the Spirit of God himself. It's something we cannot attain on our own. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it settles us deep within our souls in spite of our circumstances. Now as a parent, there are times that we walk through where we so badly want to give our children assurance of what's coming. Uh, some of you, you're, you're coming up on school and uh, you might remember or maybe you're looking forward to that day where you're sending your little one off to kindergarten. And you, and you want your child to feel at peace Even though you're the one that has the butterflies, right? More so probably than your child. Fast forward a few years and you're soon dropping your little girl off at college. Next week for me. Uh, And longing for her to have this supernatural settledness deep in her soul. And for her daddy to have it as well. In the context of John 14, what we're gonna look at today, Jesus is facing the cross. This is the night before he's going to die upon the cross for you and me. He's gathered with his disciples and he's, he's actually washing their dirty, stinky feet. So imagine the night before you're going to suffer immensely and the magnitude of all of what you know is coming. And you're stooping down low and serving your fellow friends, even the one who's going to betray you in hours. Jesus spoke of this love that he had for his disciples and also, as we see in John 14, even though he's about to die on a cross, he wants to give them the assurance of peace. I find that fascinating. On the brink of his suffering and death, he's actually thinking about his disciples and making sure they know that they will have peace in the days to come. So with that in mind, let's take a look at John 14. I wanna read just verses 25 to 27. These are the words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so what what is this peace that Jesus gives? My peace I give to you. What is this peace that Jesus gives? Well, I think it's a... Threefold progression of peace that we see all throughout the New Testament. And it begins with peace with God. That's where peace begins. Here's why we, by nature, are not at peace with God. It says in Romans 3.17, the way of peace they have not known. This is a picture of the human race. All of us, apart from God's saving grace, we are looking for peace, and we cannot find it in this world. We cannot find it on our own. Jeremiah 6.14, Jeremiah the prophet said, they are saying, peace, 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 when there is no peace. So the people in Jeremiah's day were promising peace and prosperity just like people of our day, politicians of our day. Promising peace and we cannot possibly find it in this world. Peace, something we want horizontally, must begin vertically with God. All of our problems here arise from enmity that we have because of our sin and rebellion against a holy God. And so listen, by nature, all of us here in this room, including me, are hostile to God in our hearts. We don't want him in our lives. We push him out of our lives. We wanna be in charge and rule our own lives. We are independent people apart from the work of God's grace in our lives. And so what has God done to bring us peace? When well, Romans 5.1 says this, Paul says, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how can we have real peace? Only when we are justified by faith. So what does that mean? Justified is a courtroom term. It means that in the courtroom of heaven, we've all been found guilty, and when we try to defend ourselves, we have nothing to stand on. Even our greatest deeds are done with bad motives. And so we stand before a holy God. What what is he going to do? He's going to render the verdict, you are guilty, deserving of eternal punishment for your sins. And Jesus comes, lives the perfect life we could never live on our behalf, and dies in our place, stepping into the courtroom of heaven, so to speak, saying, I will take his punishment, I will take her punishment, I will bear the wrath, the full wrath of God on her behalf. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, in his work for us on the cross, in his resurrection from the grave, if we have faith, if we have reliance upon Jesus alone in his work for us on the cross, God declares us innocent because of the work of Christ, because of his righteousness now that he gives us so that now we can have peace with God. Some of you have known this truth for so long But this is an objective truth. It doesn't matter how you feel. This remains true. If you think, well, I don't don't feel very peaceful today, just know this. If you are in Christ, the greatest problem in your life has been solved. You are now no longer at enmity with God, you are at peace with God. He looks upon you no longer as an enemy, but as a friend. He is never out to get you anymore. He is never disappointed with you. You are not an orphan all alone. You've been brought into the family of God, reconciled to him because of Jesus. Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. If you look in Romans 5, you'll see that we are called enemies, sinners, rebels, And yet through the cross, we've been brought near as friends, family, and beloved in His sight. Now, some of you in this room, when you go to bed at night, you may still have an unsettled soul. And you wonder, why do I still have no peace? Why is it that I'm still racked with so much guilt and so much shame? What is it? What is it that's getting in the way? And perhaps, if you're honest, you're still living for the counterfeit peace of this world. Hoping that something else will give you that peace that you long for deep inside. And perhaps it's a gift from God today that he's causing you to be unsettled here in your heart. You may be going through all the spiritual motions. You know. You may be doing all the right religious things, and yet you don't have a settledness in your soul today because you're still approaching God on the basis of your own works. There may be a few here today that you are sincere believing, sincerely believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and yet you think, well, I just barely made it. You know, God looks at me in my life and he says, I guess, I guess I'll let you in. You know, kind of pushes you away most often because you, can't you get your act together by now? I mean, you should be clearly more obedient by now. You shouldn't be still diving into those same kinds of struggles. And you have this picture of God as disappointed with you. Listen. The gospel is built upon Christ's work and not yours. In Romans 4, 5, it says, and to the one who does not work. Notice, this is not anything that you can do for him. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So the way that Christianity begins, the way that our story of salvation begins is not by anything that we do. It's by admitting that we cannot do a single thing and we cast ourselves upon Christ and he justifies us as ungodly people because of our faith in Jesus alone. Have you put your faith in Christ alone this morning? Have you sincerely put your faith in Jesus Christ alone? You can have peace with God, objective, real, lasting peace with God by faith alone in Christ alone. Put your faith in him even now. Secondly, this peace with God progresses to the peace of God that we can have deep in our souls. And this is what Jesus is speaking about here in John 14 where he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this is the Spirit of God giving you this deep settledness in your soul in spite of your circumstances. You notice Jesus is comparing that with a troubled heart. So the opposite of this peace that he gives is a troubled heart inside of us. Now remember, he's on his way to the cross. So he's, he's saying there is a peace available to you in the deepest, darkest times in your life. Through the tears, you can have a settled peace in your soul. At the graveside of a loved one, you can have a deep peace in your heart. Notice he says here, this is not as the world gives. This is not a peace that the world can give to you. So how does the world give peace? Here's a couple ways the world offers us peace. The world gives peace through telling us we need to escape from reality. Your mind needs to escape from reality. So if you're experiencing something hard right now, Maybe it's in your job, maybe it's in your family life, maybe it's just the chaos of the world around you. You need to get away from that. You need to escape reality, (laughs) go to somewhere exotic on vacation, or at least in your mind, go to somewhere different, on the internet, TV, go shopping, eat some good food, play some video games, whatever it is for you, we have all kinds of escapes to try to somehow get away from the difficulties of life and we hope that that will bring us peace. The world offers us peace through telling us we need to escape, but Jesus offers us peace telling us we need to engage. We need to engage in reality. Not escape from reality, but engage. Our minds need to be engaged in reality. And and what is the deepest reality? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. In John 14, 26, it says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In John 16, 7, Jesus later says, it's, your, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. So here, here's what he's saying. One author put it this way, it is better for you that Jesus goes away and the Spirit comes. The Spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. That's pretty amazing that Jesus could say that. The Spirit, the helper that's going to live inside you is actually better than if Jesus himself was right beside you. Here's what the helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to do. He's going to teach you and to remind you of all of what Jesus has said to you. That's what we have here recorded in scripture. What the Holy Spirit has breathed out through his chosen prophets and apostles, this is given to us that we might be taught and be reminded of Christ and what he said to us. In those times where we are lacking in peace and longing for peace, we need to be reminded of the word of Christ. In Colossians 3.16, it's not up there. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. A parallel passage in Ephesians 5.18 says we ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you pair those two scriptures alongside each other, you will see that I think Paul is saying that if you are having the word of God dwell in you richly, it is almost the same as saying the Spirit of God filling you. The Word of God and the Spirit of God, they run together, side by side. You can't say, well, I really want the Spirit to teach me. The Spirit of God, come and show me what to do. And meanwhile, you leave your Bible on the shelf. You're rarely, rarely in the Word of God. You've gotta meditate on the Word of God. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. The promises here in Scripture you hold on to that's where the Spirit of God works most powerfully to reveal again and to remind you of the things that Jesus has said. That is where peace can be found, deep in your soul. So it's not about your mind escaping reality, it's your mind engaging in reality. You need the word of Christ to dwell in you richly through the Holy Spirit reminding you again and again and again of these promises. Another way the world gives peace is through circumstances, right? So we think if all of life is going well, then yeah, I have peace. You know, if my bank account is in a secure, steady place, then I have peace in my heart. If all of life is without conflict, you know, in particular with my family, then I'll have peace. As long as you fill in the blank, is going well, I'll have peace. And yet Jesus says something different. He says, the peace that I give to you is in spite of your circumstances. The reason why we know that is he's on his way to the cross and he's telling his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. He knows what's coming next for them. As followers of Jesus, they're going to face persecution. They're going to be hated just like Jesus was. They're gonna go through lots of trials and Jesus says to them, you can have peace deep in your soul even in the midst of the darkest times. There are many places we could go to see how this is true but one of them, my, one of my favorite stories in all the gospels is the story of Jesus calming the storm. It never gets old for some reason for me. You remember the story, Jesus sets out on a boat and it says here in Mark chapter four, 37 and 38, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So just imagine the scene. They're in a pretty small, probably you know, 15-foot uh, fishing boat. Disciples are there. They're experienced fishermen. No doubt they've, they've had different storms and squalls in there time as fishermen, and yet this storm was so bad, the waves were breaking into the boat, the boat was already filling up with water, and what's Jesus doing? Verse 38, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Why? I think at least two reasons. One, Jesus was a man. Yes, he was God, but he was a man, and he got tired right, he fell asleep. Secondly, I think it was to test them. So can you imagine the scene, like just crazy wind and waves and the disciples scurrying all around trying to fix this whole thing and trying to do whatever they could to to make it right? Picture of us, by the way, in the storms of life, right? We're stirring around. What are we gonna do next? How are we gonna solve this? What's gonna happen? How are we gonna do this? And there's Jesus. He's sleeping, and, and look what, what they cry out. They, they wake him up and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? <laughs> like, don't you care? H- have you ever been there before? Like something is going on in your life and you think, Where is he? Why have you not yet come? I feel like you're sleeping on the job, Jesus. And I'm trying to, to do the best I can to take care of this storm and I can't. Don't you care about me? So while we scurry around, Jesus is sleeping. Verse 39 says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind, said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You know, if Jesus is calm, you can be too. in the storms of life, if you've got the God-man in your boat, no matter what is happening and swirling all around you, he can stand with a word and say, peace, be still. And then he says to them in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Some commentators think he said this as a rebuke. I don't think that was the tone of his voice, we don't know for sure, but I think this was very tender. (laughs) Stands up, I mean, think about that. All of a sudden, silence. Why are you so afraid? I think he said it in a very tender way to his disciples. You don't have to fear, I'm right here, I'm with you. You know, I think that sometimes um, some of you might be out there thinking, well, this, this fruit of the Spirit peace is, um, is one that comes pretty easy for me, actually. I'm a pretty steady, eddy kind of guy. You know, usually pretty consistent. Don't get too high, don't get too low. Pretty calm. Well, good for you, first of all, if that's you, it's God's common grace in your life. But think about this for a minute. Be careful. It may be that you have more of your mom and dad's personality than you can attribute that to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Some of us have a natural disposition towards some of these fruits, but be careful to think that that's God's work in your life. Because the work of peace happens in the moments where it makes no sense that you'd have it that you can't attribute that to, well, he's just a calm kind of guy. It's the peace that passes all understanding, as it says in Philippians four. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, the only explanation is that something supernatural has happened in your soul. That's why you can have a deep settledness now as you walk through these things. And by the way, let's be mindful of the fact that some of us are wired differently in this room, and it has nothing to do with faith or having stronger faith or weaker faith. It's just the way God has made us, that we may have more internal battles when we go through things like this, that that we may be more given towards anxiety, And some of you are really hard on yourself when you walk through things like that, realizing, hey, you know what? We're all in process with this. These fruits are things we cultivate over time. It's a process. And so we have peace with God, we have the peace of God, and then thirdly, it works itself out in peace to others. Peace to others. One of the things I want to make sure as we walk through the fruit of the Spirit is that you know this is not just for ourselves, all right? It's not just like, hey, if I grow in the fruit of the Spirit, yay for me, I can be more peaceful and joyful. No, this is about you in the context of relationships, being a a woman, a man of peace, and extending that peace to others. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and that does not come naturally, right? That's from the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing to a church at Galatia. He's not writing to an individual. So he wants us as a church to be more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind. He's just reiterating Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 9 where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So if you want to follow Jesus We are peacemakers like Jesus. In the context of the Beatitudes, if you wanna look that up later on in Matthew chapter five, you'll see that the Beatitudes begin with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's a picture of a humble posture which is the only way that we can be peacemakers, by the way, poor in spirit, mourning. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, meek, lowly in heart. That's how we approach people as we bring them peace. But I thought about this, how does this look in real life? How can we live this out as peacemakers? So yes, we have the peace of God, the peace we have with God, and how can we then bring peace to others practically? Well, there's a biblical example. I could go to a number of places, but in Romans chapter 14, we see this scenario, this this chapter that Paul devotes urging these believers to accept one another and to avoid quarreling. the context, it's over their diet and special days. Some want to, to eat meat, some want to just eat the vegetables, some want to celebrate the Sabbath, some don't think they need to any longer. And these are both committed followers of Jesus Christ, both spiritually mature, and yet they're seeing things differently. And notice what Paul says to them in Romans 14. He says, "Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So you might think, well, what's, what's the big deal about eating So let's apply it to our context. It kind of seems like in our culture today we've developed a couple distinct parties. The mask party and the non-mask party. We should be laughing about it, really. It's kind of silly. And Romans 14 helps us here, it does. Both committed to Jesus, as I said, both spiritually mature. And when he talks about the weak, this is not an issue of their spiritual stability or maturity, this is their perspective on this issue, right? Their conscience, on disputable, debatable matters. And Paul says, I want you to accept one another. You don't have to agree with each other, but accept one another. And love. How can we as Christians just buy into the rest of this world? Listen, sometimes we are even given to political partisanship to where we're lining up right here and we can even make wearing masks a political issue, really? And he, I'm not here to say, just like Paul wasn't here to say, one is right and one is wrong. What he's, what he's compelled to say is, we will not always agree with one another all the time, but we should accept one another all the time, and to realize we will see things differently, and to love one another. So often is a case, we can look at somebody without a mask, and by the way, just so you know, I, I do wear a mask in settings where I, I, I sense that I need to, and I'm actually, honestly wrestling about it sometimes here, whether or not I should. Especially for folks who are a little bit more at risk and just wanting to, to love you. But, but, but in, in this, we can sometimes look at somebody without a mask thinking, man, they are just uncaring. You know, they are just kinda doing their own thing, have no desire at all to love. And the flip side, we can look at somebody wearing a mask and think, well, they're scared. They're frightened, they're fearful, they've given in to this whole thing. and we can, we can assume the worst about each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I just want us to look at this honestly and say, are we living out Romans 14 and accepting one another and loving one another? In Romans 14, 17 it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what's primary and what's secondary? Let's focus on the primary. The kingdom of God is at stake. And so how am I going to love my neighbor? How am I going to give up my rights for the sake of the gospel? These are the questions that should permeate our minds, not I've got to hold on to my rights and the way I think about this in Romans 14:19 it says so then let us make every effort to do what leads to peace every effort it's the summation of Paul's instruction here so how do we do that how do we do that well he gives us two words here one a word of encouragement another a word of warning Romans 12:18 he says if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all as far as it depends on you live at peace And here's a warning in Galatians 5.15. Paul says, but if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So be careful, he says. See things differently from others. Don't bite and devour one another, but love and accept each other. Because here's what's at stake. And I'll close with this. Romans 15.5, Paul sums up this whole chapter that he's devoted to urging them to accept each other. And he says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So look, that's what's at stake. We're to have the same attitude as Jesus. What was his attitude? In Philippians two we see, he did not cling to his rights as God. He gave up his rights, became low, humbled himself, served and died upon a cross. We ought to have the mind of Christ, to bring glory to Christ, and to be unified in our worship of Christ. And so, as we close, do you have the peace? Passes all understanding. Do you have peace with God this morning? Peace of God, a deep settledness in your soul, despite your circumstances, and are you extending peace to others. Let's pray toward that end. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that all of us in this room, we don't deserve your peace. You have been so kind to us, Jesus. You've looked upon us in our sin and have come near to shed your own blood. That through the cross, we can have not just forgiveness of sin, we can be brought into your family reconciled to you as our Father. And we pray that now in these moments as we prepare our hearts for communion, that you would remind us again the beauty of this unity that you have bought for us through the blood of Jesus, and that you care about that. And I pray, Lord, that we would remain unified in the Gospel. We'd accept each other and love one another and seek to care for each other and to be about the the good and the well-being of our neighbor. Lord, help us. Help us to have a peace that the the world can't offer. It only comes through you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. On your way in, hopefully you received uh, one of these. If you need one right now, uh, ushers in the back that can help you, just raise your hand. Um, as we prepare our hearts for communion today, I just want to remind you that this is a family meal. Um, communion has this whole idea of community. Uh, Jesus gave this in the context of his disciples, and he wants us to take this together together as we reflect upon what Jesus has done for us at the cross. So if you are believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you are welcome to take of this. If you still have questions about what it means to follow Christ and you're wondering, I'm not sure where I'm at with the Lord, um, just, just listen during this time and reflect on that and to receive Christ, maybe for the first time. But um, why don't you start by just opening up that first layer, and by the way, if you're in a family right now and maybe one of your family members has a harder time with like, uh, fine motor skills, go ahead and help them out. There's no shame in that, all right? So we're gonna first just open up that first layer, the, the plastic layer there, the see-through layer. And before we take of the bread together and the juice, I wanna give just a minute of, of reflection. Yeah, we have time for that. Um, Jordan's going to play and while he's playing, I just ask you just to kind of, you know, maybe close your eyes and to reflect personally upon what we just saw in God's word. Maybe for you you have an unsettled soul today. Um, and and you you're praying that the Lord might give you real and lasting peace. Maybe for you it might be a conflict in a relationship and you, you need to pray about that and Scriptures even says maybe in this moment, if, if, it's, if it's severe enough, do you have to go to that person even before you take of this? I don't know what the Lord would lay on your, your heart. Maybe it's just to honestly reflect again upon the beauty of Jesus and his forgiveness for you. But let's just take a minute to do that and then we'll, uh, we'll share in this together. Mm. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to all of his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. As we open up the cup here, let's be reminded of the blood of Jesus on our behalf. This juice represents his sacrifice for us on the cross that brought us peace with God and peace with one another. So again, after supper, Jesus took the cup, gave it to all of his disciples, says, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Lord, we are humbled by your work for us on the cross. We're humbled by the way you stooped down so low to save us. We're humbled by the fact that you gave up your your rights to come and be a human servant, a sacrifice for us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to run to you for peace, to know that this settledness in our soul cannot be found in the world, and Lord, to extend that same peace to others, to be peacemakers, not that we would agree on everything, but we accept one another and love one another and continue to live at peace with one another for the sake of the gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.